overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. And today we are lucky to have with us Terry Davies. He is with Real Terrio Radio and he has a podcast, The World of Disability. Terry, why don't you jump in and tell people about yourself and how you got involved in what you're doing? Okay, um, so I'm about 32 years old. Let's start with beginning, and I live in Wales. Um, many people in the US seem to think Wales doesn't exist because, you know, we're English, according to some people. So I just want to put it out that no, we're not English. Um, you wouldn't call someone from California saying they're from New York, would you? Um, hmm. We're actually a different country, so a different state. But let's put that out first. Um, Real Terrio was started by three friends, and all three of us have a different disability. So my disabilities are hidden disabilities. Um, another friend of mine whose name is also Terry, um, he is blind. And he has a disability called Lawrence Mott. I'm not even going to try and say the full thing. It's called LMBBS <laughs> for short. And another friend of ours who has since left Real Tario, but still counted as one of the founders, um, Lee, uh, is in a wheelchair. And the world of disability was actually Lee's idea. And um, because he's left, I've taken on the bug the responsibility shall we say um so lee was a disability equality trainer and very good at it but he wanted to go and do other stuff so it was left to me and the whole thing of real terrier was that it was set up in a time in 2012 two years after the uk government had decided to make a lot of cuts to disability budgets to uh, just budgets in general and we wanted to create something that people from home so people who were facing these cuts to stuff so disabled people here there was a company called Remploy and their job was to help uh, people with severe disabilities so mental handicap or even people in a wheelchair actually go out and get a job or, you know, go to adult training centers. So they would spend time away from their family for the day to allow their family to be able to, I don't know, um, what would you say, to have some respite, you know, to go out and work or to do something. And it also, they make cuts to these kind of budgets. So we were thinking uh, we'd like to do something and then jump to the 21st century. 
how can you do this? Well, if you have no money or anything, the best way was the internet. So we did online radio for a bit. And that was fun. But it was then time, um, like we said previous to this call, um, we needed to change it up a bit. We needed to keep relevant. So we moved from online radio to podcasts in about 2018. And that's where we've been. But the World of Disabilities podcast is quite new. I think we're only on episode three, or that could be recorded in the morning. Um, so, yeah, tomorrow is episode three. There's been a few. And the whole thing about the world of disability is it's meant to be used as a community. So, yeah, it's brought to you by Realtario, our main brand, shall we say, that everything is, because we like you to listen to all of our podcasts, put it together, because they all actually go together. Uh, they go together, lovely, but they're all different topics. And it forms as one show, if that makes sense to the world, to yeah. everyone out there. Yeah. Um, I retain um, everything to do with uh, broadcasting. So I'm in charge of that. The other Terry is in charge of everything to do with the written. So anything to do with media or live sports. We do a lot of live um, WE updates, football, UK football, so you call it soccer, um, rugby, uh, and, and stuff like this. This is to, normally, it goes hand in hand with the broadcast stuff. So people would check out our website, see, uh, you know, like on our website, an ad for or our own ads, because we don't believe in actually making money from this. Realtario is a project between three friends. It will always be a project between three friends, even though if the friends go and do different things, we all seem to come back. Uh, during Realtario, both me and the other Terry went out to university and got degrees. Um, my friend Terry, who's blind, is a computer scientist, and he studied computer science. I went out and studied logistics, and now I'm studying for my second degree. So it fits in to other stuff that you can do in life, what was quite good. We came up with a mantra, making the world a smaller place through the internet. Yeah. And with coronavirus right now in the world, what best slogan is that? When most of the world is locked up and you can't go and meet say, your grandmom for, you know, for the fear of giving her the disease um, or the virus. So what best slogan has hit today, the making world a small place for the internet? Who would have thought in 2012 at about 1 a.m. in the morning on Friday the 13th of January, when we were coming up with this idea to do online radio, we would actually have been where we are today with coronavirus with uh, podcasts. Yeah. I know that for myself, I didn't see this happening. Um, so yeah, then jump back to the words disability. We wanted to give disabled people a voice, but not only disabled people, they're carers. You know, they're a big part to people with disability. And sometimes they don't, they're unable to talk to people. We wanted to also give 
information to people. So every Wednesday, and it's been stopped for the time being because we did stop around about the time the UK started to lock down um, from doing a lot of our stuff. So we could regroup and how we could, uh, how do I say, help people a little bit more, um, you know, with boredom. Uh, if you have a disability and you're stuck in the house, or even if you're an old person and you're stuck in the house all day and you can't go out, you've got no one visiting you, boredom is a very big, uh, it plays on your mental yes. health a bit as well. And That is correct. You know, and then when you get bored or because it plays with your mental health, it could then lead to something worse. So it could lead to suicide. Or, you know, someone binge drinking even. Do you know what I mean? To, That's to right. make themselves numb and forget. So we wanted to do something. Uh, and we only re-released our whole coronavirus schedule, as I'm calling it, last week. And basically, we're now doing podcasts every two days. So today, or yesterday now, because it's past midnight my time. Yesterday was... The World of Disabilities podcast today or tomorrow or today, my time, sorry, uh, it will be the World of Disabilities. So every two days we release on each of the podcasts now what's quite fun, uh, a lot of recording and a lot of research. Um, what's a bit weird because I don't like researching, <laughs> even though I do like researching, you know, I watch press conferences. Yeah, yes, I, I, I totally get that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But yeah. it's, it's, yes. it's coming from, you've got to write your script now. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah. Well, don't, don't you find that podcasting invigorates and yeah. just knowing that it's a good feeling. And it that's really why is. I, we, we ran across each other. I found you on the internet. Because yes. you're dealing with this coronavirus with a disability oh. and in lockdown, that's a lot oh, yes. of mental stress. <laughs> it so, really is. Um, so as part of my disability, um, and I do suffer from now and again, I do suffer from mental health problems because I suffer from a disability called dyspraxia, or it actually is, I believe in the States, it's called developmental coordination disorder. So dyspraxia is, it can affect you in many different ways. I mainly have coordination problems, so I like to fall over a hell of a lot, and I drop things, uh, and I also suffer from dyslexia, um, yes. so that's also a bit hard. I enjoy people who enjoy uh, pointing out spelling mistakes and stuff. Now, on my own personal Facebook, I used to have the fact that I'm dyslexic in my bio. And it's funny when someone says to you on a comment, I've checked your Facebook. And, but then they they feel that they have to, uh, what is it, be a teacher with a red marker pen and rewrite, you know, pick out, instead of picking out the argument, they'll pick out yes. your spelling and grammar. And to me, that's, that's when you correct. know that you, they've lost. Do you know what I mean? They can't. That's right. What you're saying. Um, so I, I suffer from a bit of that dyslexia myself, so I do understand what you mean by that. And you don't realize it, and people don't understand that. 
you know no. you know the difference but you don't realize it until it's too late sometimes you and, really don't that... um, for me what makes me angry because i can talk to other disabled people or people with disabilities because in i'm not sure how it's cast in the uk in the us but in the uk dyslexia is cast as a learning disability so it's the same as any other dis a physical disability and so right. on you know you can't discriminate uh, against someone for employment. Like I said, I went to university. All the way through university, it wasn't, well, he's got a disability. We have to make it easy for him. It was, he has a disability. He needs something to change to for him to succeed. So it would be, at the moment, I get uh, two weeks on top of my assignments. So two weeks extra. That I need or extra time in an examination um, so it's not about uh, like going easy I still have to do all of the work do you know what I mean so um, it's rather about making reasonable adjustments now back to reasonable adjustments would you tell a blind person to go out and see or someone in a wheelchair to get up and walk what these people on Facebook who like to comment like and rewrite all of you know statuses and stuff like that. That's what actually to me. That's what they're actually doing is saying, well, you know, they'll rewrite your status, redo all of the spelling for you, or try and pick on your spelling. But actually, they're doing the same kind of thing than going out and telling someone who is blind that you know they should open their eyes and see. You wouldn't do it in that's society. Right. So why do they feel that someone with a hidden disability, it's fine to do something like that? And this is the conversation that the three of us, both myself, Terry and Lee, were having. And we said, well, it's sometimes, and at the time Lee was having problems that he fell because of his wheelchair. He fell into the bit that cuts were being made to where he would do voluntary work or he would do... Um, or he would go onto a scheme. I really can't remember because it was about two years ago. And it's been racking my brain a little bit. But it came to the three of us just sitting down on Skype and having a discussion about it. And the three of us agreed that sometimes, although we have different disabilities, so one has a one is visually impaired and blind, one is in a wheelchair, so a physical difference disability and I have um, a hidden disability we all have our mental health problems and we all have that sometimes you need to talk to someone and we are taking from little groups like what we needed and we came up with the world of disability we did try it another way and we used to try it on YouTube so Lee would do some videos on YouTube um, I can't remember where those videos have gone. I think they've been deleted since. Um, but we did them, uh, videos about just random stuff about his life. And, like, you were seeing disability through our eyes or our disabilities through our eyes, told by people with a disability. That's so right. then I just wanted to do a podcast last week when I did that part, the one about coping with coronavirus. Um, so I wanted to talk about how I was coping with it. Now, for me personally, it's been a lot of change. Um, 
like I said, I'm studying. So me and my group, and what I'm studying is theology. So Easter, high time for us, if you're a Christian, do you know what I mean? So we were all meant to do quite a few stuff as a class, a university class, you know, together over Easter, but we were unable to do this. And then it was on Tuesday, 17th of March, we were told, yeah, we're going into a lockdown. Um, so how, what do you do on Tuesday? One, I was getting ready at the time to go to university for my night class, <laughs> um, you know, that night. And next thing you know is we're being told we're on a lockdown. So what do you do? So my idea was, how about a holiday from the world? Because everyone needs a, you know, a mental health holiday, yeah. as I call it. That's and right. So I, so I took a holiday from the world. It was a nice two-week break. And the way I think I put it in the podcast without listening back was, it was a lovely hotel. It had all my stuff around. The only problem was the, there was no staff. No swimming pool, no. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But I had awesome. Yeah. Views. I live in a, I live in a city called Swansea, and um, we live right by the beach. Um, so where I live is on top of, I would call it a mountain, but it overlooks the whole city centre and the beach. If I go to the front window, not right now because it's bright dark outside, but. <laughs> Tomorrow, when I'm recording, I'll be at a desk where I'll stand up and I'll be overseeing Swansea. So, you know, you, you can have awesome views. So I think that was the only part of my uh, mental health holiday that was really good, was the view, you know, that out of my yeah. window. Um, but So, so how, how stringent... How stringent are they being with this lockdown over there? Are they keeping sure. everybody inside their home and they can't go to the store or anything? No, or no, what's the severity not, level of it? It's nothing like that, really. Basically, um, it's common sense, I call it. But you have people... I don't know. How do I say this without offending people? Um, so... You say it. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so in America, I noticed that you have people like Trump supporters and let's just say they're a bit sometimes, um, oh, they're a bit crazy in their, you know, the deep, deep people who don't trust the media, who doesn't, they don't even read or research things for themselves. If they believe it's a lockdown, there should be a lockdown. It's not that kind of thing. In Europe itself, uh, because we're no longer in Europe, are we? Um, in Europe themselves, they have army and military personnel on the streets. In the UK, um, you can't... They're allowing the police to control this. Now, UK policing is done different than what policing in the States is. Um, in the UK, the police police by consent. So they need the consent of the people to be able to do their job. Without the people's consent, they've lost, basically. You know, what kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. So they implemented something called, uh, something here called a fixed penalty notice. What's a fine, basically. So if you're caught outside and you haven't got a good reason for being outside, now the reasons are 
you should be out taking your daily exercise. So that could be an hour walking around the block or even going to, the, you know, not to the store because the store is counted differently. So you could be walking around the block. Now you can take that over, you know, the whole day. So you can go out twice or something, but as long as it's an hour, there's no one really watching that. Um, then you've got that you can go out if you need to go to work. Um, so my mum has been off from work for about two weeks now. And today was her first, or yesterday now, was her first evening back at work. Um, so, you know, you can go out if you can't work at home. Then you can go out again if you need to go shopping. So if you need to go to the store to buy food or um, something, very certain stores open. Not all of our shops and like stuff's closed. Would you believe that even McDonald's is closed? McDonald's, huh. even the drive-through. Yep, even the drive-through. All McDonald's in the wow. UK were closed on the Friday. Uh, Starbucks oh. is closed. Um, so if they were non-essential, they closed. Now what gets to me is they've classified building as non-essential. Yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. essential working. Now, in Swansea, we're having a stadium built, or not really a stadium, um, a show place. So somewhere where artists can come and hold shows. Uh, arena, civic, that's the word. Civic centre. Uh, oh, no, civic centre is something different in the UK. A civic centre is where the council base themselves. So um, oh, that's... Okay. A, yes, so that's the home of the council. It used to be named Guild okay. Hall. You call it you call it um, a town hall or a city hall. It's called a okay. civic centre here. So basically, in a civic centre in Swansea, you've got the library, the family resource centre, the council debating chamber, the house. You know, that's where the council's house, shall we say? Very is. interesting. Yeah, yes. there are differences, but they have their own thing. Yes. Now, this is an arena, so. Um, I'm trying to think. So, like a big, they keep talking about convention centers, like the Javits Center. It, it's going to be like that. Now, they've classified okay. building in Swansea. Now, in Swansea, they've classified this as essential. So, basically, any kind of building, um, they've classified all builders of projects, even though that that project isn't meant to be completed until 2025. So it has no benefit to coronavirus. Do you know what I mean? So you're putting builders at risk, you know, going outside. Um, but they've classified yeah. it as essential. So there has been some problem here. And you've got the same problem with PPE in America. Um, or yes. lack of PPE. Well, yeah, we have the same problem too. Um, our government promised that by mid-April, Actually, first they promised three weeks ago that all of the nurses, doctors, carers would have PPE. Um, they're still refusing to apologize to the country that not all carers who go... Now, most carers go out to people's home. So where I was talking about my friend Lee, Lee requires carers to come into his home to lift him out of his wheelchair to change him and put him back into his wheelchair, you know, to help his family. Um, but these carers, 
don't have the equipment or the PPE they require. So they may be spreading, you know, and they go to different people's homes to do their job. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad or anything like that, you know, because that's their job. That's their calling, you know, to help people, to care for them. But surely questions need to be asked when the government are letting in, you know, are letting down the site. Now, a month ago, the Prime Minister... can can I interrupt right there for just yeah, yeah, a moment yeah. before we move on from that? Because I, I want to ask, do you know where the suppliers from uh, the UK are receiving that equipment from? Is that from China, possibly? Yes, uh, a lot. Of see, see, there, there's an issue there, and Mr. It's... Trump has been addressing mm. that with these... Uh, providers because that's a horrible thing what is happening right there what happened? when when we have we have uh possibly one factory building them over there and then you got different providers that is selling the equipment at different cost and that's creating a, a struggle yeah. that's that's the story i'm getting yes um but what happened in the UK, we used to manufacture these kind of stuff, uh, just like the States. But um, I'm going to get a bit political. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's when good. We, it's when we part left of Europe, our life that we have to talk about that, you know. And politics it, it's actually, nothing to, yes. Politics actually affects everything. But when we joined the European Union, uh, like it or love it, um, I'm a bit of one of those undecided I enjoy the benefits of being able to travel to places like Amsterdam, Paris, without needing a visa, without, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. back to that yeah, thing. Yeah, the open border. The open borders. Yes. I enjoy that because I can go, um, what is it? There's a few times that I've traveled from Wales. So I've crossed from Wales to England, England to France, France to Belgium, and then into the Netherlands. Uh, right. And I did it by and I did it by coach. Do you know what I mean? So I was actually seeing these countries. Now, once the whole Brexit situation is over, that's not going to, you know, happen. So, yes, I like that, but I didn't like the EU. Were able? We didn't vote for the president of the European Union. You know, yeah, our MPs did, but we didn't. As the people. One minute you're saying we're meant to be equal as people, but then you're saying, well, we don't trust you to vote for who you want to lead this political institution. Yeah. It kind of, yeah. you know, to us, it's, to me, it's kind of, I might be thinking about it, it's kind of like, um, you know, all the governors voting for who the president is going to be, but not asking the people, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. That's actually what, ha that's actually how the EU to me, elects the president. And then that decision is ratified by Congress. So the people don't get a say. The only thing that the people get a say in is who their congressman is. You know? It doesn't yeah. make sense. With Brexit itself, it has its benefits, but we are far from seeing those benefits. The government promised £350 million, or, well, the prime minister promised three hundred and fifty million pound extra to the NHS. Now the NHS 
And I know in the States you don't have socialized or not like us to have socialized uh, healthcare. Let's put it this We're way. We're landing there. Oh, you're coming there. <laughs> you need to. Um, my, I'll tell you a bit of family history. So my grandmother, um, she was a nurse. She did her training in the NHS the first year the NHS was started. So she was one of the first nurses to qualify within, you know, within this na this whole new National Health Service. The best bit about the National Health Service is, and I've seen it from your point of view too, you go to a hospital and they say, um, can you pay for your treatment? Do you know what I mean? Um, right. It's like you have a till. Um, I was in the States, oh, 1995. I was only a child, but my uncle, um, who was traveling with us, because my great-aunt used to live in a place called Vacaville, just outside San Francisco, uh, between San Francisco and Sacramento. Um, so I've been okay. to the States twice. I've been twice in my life. Um, so in 95, um, my uncle got ill just before our flight home, and he had to go to hospital. Uh, I think it was because he was a blood relative, he was able to get on my aunt's, um, because she was his auntie, you know, so it was able to go on her, her insurance or something, you know, something like that. And I remember, I always remember this, in the UK, we don't have to worry about stuff like that. If I get ill, I can, in normal times, I can give my GP a call, I can get an appointment, do you know what I mean, tomorrow. And then, if needs be, I can be referred on to a hospital. If I need, if I walk down the street and break my leg tomorrow, and I need an X-ray and I need it to be plastered, I can either call my mum to be taken to an emergency department or call an ambulance. I don't have to worry about you know it's going to cost me this, 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 and this to act before I actually get treated. You know, if yeah. I have to go for. If I have to have an eye test, uh, some some opticians do charge. Well, that's like you. So there are certain services that you pay some. So like dentistry, you pay ten pound for a checkup, but the rest of the work is free. If that makes sense to you, um, you know. So the NHS for someone who has a disability, even if you don't have a disability, and you know you're one of the richest people in the country. The NHS doesn't discriminate against you. Um, so when you, I don't know if you're seeing a lot of stuff coming from our Prime Minister at this moment because he's been saved by the NHS. Well, my point of view is yeah. the NHS couldn't... The NHS didn't care that this man was the Prime Minister. He was given the same treatment as if um, someone who was homeless roll through those doors you know you're given the same treatment all around and that's the best bit about the NHS it doesn't discriminate against you it doesn't care if you have a bank account of 50 million pounds or even a bank account minus 20 pounds you know it will treat you it will get you better and it will fight for you you know on this battle because we all know that illness is really a battle isn't it you know your body is fighting the germs out or fighting the virus away to become healthy again but those nurses right. and doctors 
I remember during the last election, I read the story that in states, you parents have to pay to hold their newborn baby. Um, I believe they call it. <laughs> I just couldn't get over it. I really couldn't. I I couldn't fathom it because in the UK, a parent doesn't pay to hold their baby. A parent doesn't even have to worry about the cost of giving birth. Do you know what I mean? Is someone going to be with now, the mother when she's now giving how? Birth? How do they pay for all of that, Terry? And well, who who pays for every, that? Okay, so basically the cost of the NHS comes out of something called national insurance. So it's a percentage taken away from your individual paycheck or benefits, and everyone pays national insurance. National insurance has another option. So you have something in the UK called an old age pension. So when you become old, over, how old's my mum? My mum is 65 last week. So next year she'll be 66 and she'll qualify for her old age pension. Um, so, sorry, I I do know this and I'm just Googling myself because national insurance has changed a bit depending on who's in the government. And all of this isn't new to us because it's been around since World War II. Uh, the government who brought this in were was the government directly after World War II. So in 1945, we had an election. Winston Churchill was removed from office and the Labour Prime Minister, Clement Attlee, came in. Um, what's quite thing, when I said to you about being Welsh, the National Health the National Health Service itself was created by a Welshman, a Nine Bevan. Oh. Um, so, you know, people say to you on comments again on Facebook, what has Wales ever brought to the United Kingdom? Well, Wales brought you the NHS and your royal family. Do you know? Um, so, if it wasn't for Wales, most of you people would be dying of diseases such as cholera. You know, in the 50s, there were still slums in the UK. There were still places where you couldn't, you know, the people didn't know how to look after themselves and wash their hands and stuff. I don't know if you've got a TV program called Call the Midwife, where you are. That's actually some parts of that of that program is actually what the UK looked like in the 50s. Uh, because you must remember that it was bombed out. You know, you know right. we were rebuilding from a war. So I, I don't know if it wasn't for the war, would it be different? Yeah, because, you know, you didn't have to rebuild everything. Um, where I live in Town Hill is a council estate. So where I live itself, it used to be classified as one of the worst estates in the UK for crime, for everything. It isn't anymore. Jump 20 years, all of those people have been put into prison. <laughs> and um, But basically, it's where I live, the history of here is uh, most of the people who first moved into this estate. So the first ever resident of my house. And my house is only a two-bedroom house with, because there's only two of us who live here, and it's got a living room, kitchen, bathroom, downstairs toilet, 
uh, attic, you know. So it's a normal British house. Um, where I, the first resident here, actually came and lived in the slums. And they were clearing these slums out just after the First World War in the 1920s. So it took time to build these estates and to actually, you know, clean them out. Once you clean them out, the problem they had was people couldn't afford their health care. They couldn't afford to go and see a doctor. So you still had the disease that was in the slums just replicating itself in the new model estates. So the only way that they could get around it was through the National Health Service. Now, back to national insurance. So you take a little contribution. So you pay your income tax. So I believe you have to pay income tax too or tax on your earnings. Uh, so you pay that, and then in that is national insurance. It's only about £6 a month, so it's not a lot of money, if that makes sense, to pay right. for everyone to be treated. And it goes into a pot then. Everything goes into a pot, I've been told, like cooking. <laughs> and um, it goes into a big pot, and uh, it's then distributed to health, to benefits, because... Uh, national insurance also covers uh, benefits such as uh, universal credit. Uh, what? Yeah, that benefit just makes me laugh. It has done more damage. So who who gets to choose what service is provided to you? Okay, so we don't have individual hospitals like you have a hospital like. I don't explain. Right. We do have individual hospitals. We don't have stuff like that. So basically, where I live, you have a hospital trust or an NHS trust, a National Health Service trust. Um, here in Wales, uh, we believe in, we have something called devolution. So the UK government does not control the health policy in Wales or in Scotland or in, in, or in Northern Ireland. The UK government only controlled the health policy for England. So in Wales, it's the Welsh Assembly government. A smaller, the next government level down. I would say in your way, it's the equivalent of a state government and a state legislator. So the first minister appoints his cabinet in the same way as a prime minister would appoint his cabinet. Uh, they're all answerable to the Queen, you know, and to the people, because, you know, our head of state isn't elected, our head of state is the Queen. Actually, right. it's a bit different in Wales, because technically our head of state in Wales is the Prince of Wales, because Wales is a principality of England, so it gets a little bit complicated there. They haven't really yeah. sorted the <laughs> constitution. They haven't sorted the constitutional... Um, elements out uh, but it's all fine <laughs> for me anyway yeah uh, so yeah devolution happened about 21 years ago so up until then it was all done by london so london dictated everything out to the country to all parts of the country even though we are four separate countries if that makes sense to you um the UKC yeah. 
is four separate countries, England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland. And then on top of that, right. we have the overseas territories, such as Gibraltar. Uh, you know, Gibraltar is an overseas territory, some Caribbean islands. And then on top of that, we've got crown dependencies. So these islands belong to the Queen herself, rather than to the UK government. And they're all administered the same way. So years ago, everything would come out of London. Then when people kept leaving the UK, it was decided, well, you can't really have your neighbours, such as Scotland, nor, you know, Ireland reunite, Northern Ireland reuniting with the Republic of Ireland, and then Wales leaving. It wouldn't be a union anymore, would it? So it was decided right. to offer us a ref. It was decided to offer a referendum in 1997 on how we would, you know, future governments of it. And the Welsh people decided that some decisions, so devolved areas, are education, transport, that's new. Um, there are some taxation in that. There's a couple of things, you know, all different parts of think decisions that are taken here in Wales by people for Wales. So before then, like I mentioned, most of the decisions were taken in London, in Whitehall, and there was no guarantee that the person who was making these decisions actually came from Wales or actually knew the area of where they were making a decision for. The UK, although... It, it, the UK is very different. Um, so the Welsh way of life is that we're very friendly. We're a very friendly people. Um, and the English way of life is they're very abrupt, if that makes sense to you. And the Scottish sure. way of life. And Scottish people are namely known as very tight with their money. So they don't like spending money. You know, where a Welshman... I've been saying this, and I shouldn't really, because we're, we're in the middle of the Six Nations, or we're meant to be waiting for the Six Nations rugby when, you know, all of the nations in the UK technically start playing each other, along with Italy and France. Um, so there's a saying around at this time, an Englishman is abrupt, a Welshman is would give you your last pound. Do you know what I mean? We will walk along the street, and if you need it, we will give it to you. And then the Scottish yeah. will sit we'll try and put a tax on that pound, if that makes sense, because, <laughs> you know, it's about keeping the money. Yeah. Um, but devolution went a long way, because up until 1997, although Scotland had power to be able to control its own laws, its own police forces and stuff, here in Wales, we don't control our own judiciary or our own uh, police force. But there is talk of allowing us to do this. So we effectively in Wales are a country still under occupation. Because, you know, even the states in America control their own judicial system and their own right. police forces. In Wales, they're answerable to London still to this day. Um, so many of the rules coming out of Cardiff uh, Bay about this lockdown are actually being reiterated via London. So it's bringing into question, can devolution still work with a pandemic? So in time, I can see the English government are going to have to 
gives the judiciary to Wales itself, like they have to do with other stuff. So I can see the UK having to federalise within the next 20 years. And it's something for me that should have been done a very long time ago. Devolution has its flaws. So where NHS spending, um, there was a story about the time of the Trump state visit um, that their conservative government wants to sell the NHS off to American pharmaceutical companies. Now, the government would have a very hard chance, a very hard time doing that in the United Kingdom. Because like I've pointed out, the Conservatives only control one of the four NHSs. So the NHS, although you hear about the National Health Service, actually, here in Wales, it's called NHS Wales or NHS Cumbria. In Scotland, it's NHS Scotland in Northern Ireland. Now, each of these uh, NHSs of devolved administrations are not looking at England they are answerable to their own government minister in their country. They're also answerable to the legislators. So the Assembly here in Wales, what's about to be renamed the Senev. Uh, so that's a Welsh slash English name for what our uh, debating chamber is. Uh, in Scotland, they're answerable to the Scottish Parliament, and in Northern Ireland, they're answerable to the executive, oh no, not the executive, the other one, the Northern Irish Assembly, um, where in England, they're only answerable to, they're answerable to the UK government. So you see someone, uh, his name's Matt Hancock, as, what is it, and they probably put it on your news as United Kingdom's health minister. He isn't okay. really the United... He isn't really the United Kingdom's health minister. Uh, on top of all of this, you're probably seeing um, something like the chief medical officer always being mentioned. He actually isn't the chief medical officer for the whole of the United Kingdom. He's the chief medical officer for England. In Wales, we have our own chief medical officer and chief scientific advisor. The only thing that is, at the moment, they're working together as four countries in a union. Um, what's interesting that today is that the media are talking about, and I've only done a quick check, that you know there's times where they might pull across. Now, we couldn't do that in Wales because, like I said, we don't control our own laws and judiciary, so we need to work with you know the English. Now, the Scottish control their laws, their judiciary. Um, there are different laws in Scotland in some parts than there are to here in Wales and England. So in England and Wales, our laws are exactly the same because it's the same judiciary. Uh, Northern Ireland has different judiciary as judiciary and police force as well. Um, all of our police forces are different. And you asked me a question about how they're looking after the lockdown. What's quite hard is since 2010, and it goes back to those cuts that I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview. Since 2010, right. there has been a cut of over 20,000 police officers. So the government brought in these... Is that across the whole UK? That one crosses the whole UK because, uh, you know, cuts were brought in by the government because of austerity. So it goes across the whole UK. Now, on top of that, people are like, 
Why don't they just deploy the army? Well, I can tell you why they're not going to deploy the army. Because the only decision the army said the soldiers could make was either support the NHS in delivering goods and services, you know, through the supply chain and, you know, supporting the NHS through offering medical treatment, building field hospitals uh, in stadiums and, you know, and places like that. Or do you want them to say no to the NHS and supporting them? Do you know what I mean? Helping with the back office because nine times out of ten, some of the people who work in the NHS are senior managers. So, you know, have come from nursing backgrounds or medical backgrounds. Do you know what I mean? So wouldn't you rather those people being covered by someone in the military so they can go back out and treat patients? You know, we're in a pandemic. And if they're qualified to do that, because nine times out of ten senior managers within the NHS, they keep their hands in. Do you know what I mean? They may not yeah. treat a patient now, every day. How do those individuals, those doctors, those healthcare people... How do they get paid by the government? Uh, is it a set wage? Uh, and how do they determine that wage? There's like a band. Every person who works in the NHS somehow has a band attached to it. So a band of pay, a rate of pay. Obviously, you know, if you've got a good doctor that you're trying to poach from, I don't know, another NHS trust, you can offer him some benefits and you know, a consultant, but when nurses are concerned, they're like, there's a band A, band B, band C, and it also depicts on what their rank is, and that says how much, you know, these will be paid, this is what they will get. But it it also differs from where you live. So not every nurse is on the same amount of money. So you could be working in, what's my NHS trust? Swansea Bay NHS Trust. Now, go 20 minutes away, uh, down to West Wales, you're in a different NHS trust itself, and all of these trusts come under Wales here in Wales. Um, so they're, you know, it's a different area, but they're all linked. Do you know what I mean? They're all answerable to the same minister. They're all uh, answerable right. to the same government. So it's all linked, but it's just they have like local managers, if that makes sense. Local okay, is there contention? Is there contention between the people because of the difference in pays? No. Uh, Hmm. That's very interesting. They seem... See, what you've got to remember is here in the UK, it's not... How do I say this? It's not... It's not... um, NHS are underfunded. Let's put it that way. Uh, The Conservatives are always talking about um, giving them a... Hey, what is it? They're doing a remarkable job. We need to catch them every Thursday. I feel that this is the biggest hypocrisy ever. Because a year and a half ago, Boris Johnson, most of the cabinet, all sat in the House of Commons, voted against giving the NHS a pay rise. And that would have been across the board because... Although we have devolution in Wales and in Scotland and in Northern Ireland, our money comes from the UK government to run these institutions. So if they vote down something for the English NHS, you know, like a a financial bill, 
it gets voted down for the rest of the UK because the money is always made up into our devolved budget. So where the devolved budget is, we'll get, a, we'll get like some money from uh, a full, like, a, what do they call it? The Barnet formula. And it sets out how much we can get for this, that, and the other. Then we get that money, and then it's up to the, the Welsh government how it's spent. So if they were going to do something in England, like increase staff's pay, they would uh, they would put this money into the Barnet formula, uh, so into another formula that Wales gets, and then or give a grant. Do you know what I mean to Wales, so they can do the same. So they can't control right. the. So the UK government can't control the NHS in the terms of funding, but in the terms of delivering the service, they have no say in Wales. Um, it's it's very complicated, isn't it? The NHS itself. Yeah, um, yeah quite a bit of difference between the UK and America's politics and how it's oh, delivered yeah. and allocated about. So, yeah, I find that very interesting. Over here, well, it's, uh, there would be brawls and fistfights and, <laughs> you that's know, all what sorts I don't of get. good things. Like, even in Wales, this is something that's different. So, say I have to get a prescription from my GP every month on a repeat prescription. Now, here in Wales, we don't pay for prescriptions. They're free. So you get your prescription, you go to the pharmacy, you cash your prescription, you get your drugs. In England, see, you pay £10 for a prescription. It's back to those charges. Do you know what I mean? In England, you pay £10 on top for your prescription. Well, you know, what's it now? When I lived in England, because I did live in England about 10 years ago for a couple of months when I was at uni the last time, and basically, uh, if I cashed a Welsh prescription in England, it would be free. If I cash an English prescription in Wales, I would have to pay. Does that make sense? Interesting. So there's stuff like that, you know, even though... I'm a Welsh person, so it shouldn't matter where my prescription was coming from, you know? Right. Because yeah, they make a lot of complicated things, yeah. <laughs> but it's that demarcation. What's quite funny is they've just sent transport to the Welsh Assembly, and um, but no one can decide what happens to a train service if it starts in Wales ends in England or starts in England and ends in Wales who is responsible for the contract this is where I was coming in and I was saying about federalization is needed um, you know because there's no one you know England don't have their own way of making laws and stuff it right. has to be done the same way as the UK they were left out on this devolution journey you know and, or as I call it it was start of federalization really you know they were left yeah. out that's the unique thing about america's government system we have that federal on top yes and then we yes. have each state broken down and they're all under a constitutional rule of law and that form of government is very unique and very special 
to get that fine line balance between all participants. It's hey, taking years. Sometimes, yeah, it takes wars and rumors of wars and headaches and yeah, people yes, getting I, out and talking together. You know, this is how we break this down. Oh yeah, um, I was watching a TV show. Was it? If you allow military, was it? Could you imagine? There's a TV program here called Yes Prime Minister, very old comedy program, um, and. It, it's a political satire, um, you know, making um, about the prime minister. This man becomes prime minister, Jim Hacker. Very funny. And he turns around and says, well, we've got a problem. His official comes and says, prime minister, we have a problem. Um, we've got a, a council borough in Thamesmead or somewhere in England. They wish they won't pay for their nuclear bunker because this was made in the 80s, you know, with Soviet Russia and all of this and on the backdrop of this. And they won't pay for their budget. And uh, I remember the guy saying, yes, but you can't have this prime minister. You know, what if they wanted their own army? You would see Thamesmead going up against Lambeth County Council 10 minutes away and invading <laughs> them. <laughs> You know, yeah, I kind exactly. of get that. It, it, it kind of, and that's where it comes from with devolution. Uh, are we going to allow an independent Scotland or an independent Wales? You know, because from the English point of view, they are going to be a bit worried, aren't they? They're going to yeah. get it from. So I get where the union comes in and federalisation, because you know, from your point of view, up until World War One, wasn't it? The, United States had separate individual military. They didn't have a big like federal military like it does today. You know, you had smaller right. units, and it was mainly the That's National right. Guard or the Matilla. The, I can't even say the word. The you know the National militia. Guard the, the, militia. That's the word. militia. Uh, yes, militia yes. that would you know do it. We did not believe in long-standing armies, and no. that's the difference. Yeah, but so, could you imagine today, though, you know, you'll have the militia from, uh, I don't know, South Dakota <laughs> going up against the militia yeah. in Texas. Do you know what I mean? Because well, that's what the Civil War was. Well, yeah, same thing. Exactly. Um, but that's what we don't need here. There's been many wars in Wales. Like where I live in Wales, we were six. They always declare Wales as one country. But that's a bit of a right. lie because Wales didn't become one country until after the English invaded us and made us one country. Up until yeah. then, Wales, Wales was actually six different countries. Um, so where really? I live... I did not know yeah. that. That's oh, yes. Um, I didn't, actually. Oh. I've been doing my... I've been researching my family history, so I found out that I'm related to one of the last rulers of the area I live in. So if you know how I can get my country back, <laughs> as a joke, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. What, what's quite funny, we have Who do we call for that one? <laughs> um, it's fine, because technically, um, what I kind of find, a bit of a historical going off the subject, um, what I kind of find funny is... Queen Elizabeth II is actually, if you go right back into her ancestry, the only reason she sits on the throne is because of Henry VII, who invaded from Pembroke, 
um, and was born in Pembroke Castle, so born in Wales. The only reason the current Queen of England sits on the throne and every Queen and King of England since is because of a Welshman. If it wasn't for a Welshman taking the crown off the English and, you know, executing someone in a battle, a civil war, we yeah. would have, you know, they wouldn't be there. But if you check Henry VII's family history and go back in, we actually have a common ancestor. So if we have a common ancestor and, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> he's a Tudor, theoretically, the Queen is related to the Welsh, dynasty, the Welsh royal family. And see, those six countries I was telling you about, they were all related to each other, the royal families. So they would have many wars, you know, between them, civil wars and stuff. And this is going back to the 1200s. So they were warring all of the time, you know, between cousins and stuff. It was a bit like uh, World War One. They say that World War One was a fight between cousins before America right. got involved. Um, so, yeah, I can see the point of view. Can you imagine... Uh, if we still had our own military forces today going back and forth and stuff like that. Um, in Ireland, a civil war there allowed them to have freedom and stuff, no matter how you see it. But it did put brother against brother, didn't it? You know, there were families who probably had one, bro one son fighting for the North or for the British and another son fighting for the Republicanism. You know, yes. the civil war... Civil war is bad, and the only way they got around this within the United Kingdom is offering devolution and back onto the NHS. Each time they try and take something away, it actually cripples the service. Um, the NHS itself has been uh, in such dire straits in England. In Wales as well, it has. But we have been underfunded, like in that settlement of money that we get. So all of our tax money gets paid to England, you know, to the United Kingdom. Um, so over to London, and then it is distributed back to Wales. So we then get the money back, you know, as a settlement of this is your money. You can now spend it any way you want. Um yeah. What makes sense, you know, because it doesn't get complicated, does it, with, you know, the state is going to take, so in America, I take it, your taxation is your state taxes you and the federal government taxes you and they do it separately, I believe. Yeah, they and, everybody taxes us. <laughs> and they, but they never yeah. do this in one go, do they? They do it all separately and they, I bet you they do it on a different day of the week as well. Do you know what I mean? Or a different day of the month. Yes. And, you know, but in the UK, it's done all at once. So if you're going to get taxed on your earnings, you know, it, it's taken. So your national insurance contribution is taken from your earnings or from your taxation. You have to pay it. Uh, there's no way of getting around national insurance. Every person in the United Kingdom pays national insurance, even if you don't use the health service. Even if you don't use the benefit system, everyone has to pay for, you know, it, it's a, I love it because it's a bit like saying, you know, even if I've got millions and millions in my bank account, 
I'm going to help someone who hasn't got millions and millions. And you never know, I may go bankrupt and I may need them. I may need the help, you know. Um, but National Insurance itself, and I'm reading this from the website because it's been some time since I've actually looked into it. It's a, uh, a fundamental compound of the welfare state. Now, the welfare state is benefits, health care, you know, and there shouldn't be any con any uh, cost here. Now, the whole welfare state system was brought up after World War II by a Labour government. And I believe Labour are a lot like your Democratic Party and the Conservatives are a lot like your Republican Party. What's quite funny, right. because in the UK, Republican is uh, normally the Labour Party because they believe in removing the crown and Conservative are the ones who believe in the status quo. Do you know what I mean? The main <laughs> well, difference is that that's odd, huh? to me, it, it, yeah. It, yeah, um, to me, it's quite funny, isn't it? Um, not all Labour people yes. believe in uh, the removal of the crown. It's not something that's widespread. Do you know? Um, what is becoming widespread in Wales is um, independence for Wales. So Wales becoming its own independent country. Now, my own personal yeah. views on that is. Would Wales actually work? You need to think of it as the bigger picture. Would we be able to, if we went independent, could we support an NHS still that's, you know, free at the point of entry? And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, 75 years old and you need a respirator. You're going to get that help because, you know, those nurses and doctors will give you as much attention as you need. Yes, they are in the hospital very busy, do you know what I mean? They can be rushed off their feet in time because there is, frankly, in the UK, a nurses and doctors shortage that's come around over years because of pay. Um, it's Most doctors and nurses have left the UK to go to places like Australia or New Zealand that actually pay their GPs, their doctors uh, or their nurses a bit more than what we do. Um but, and that's where the European Union and the free movement and the free working rights all come in, because basically, you know, it helped us. We had nurses and doctors from Spain, uh, you know, from Spain, from France, from Italy, you know, who came and wanted to work in our NHS. Um, I believe the NHS is like the bastion of healthcare around the world. You know, everyone wants to come and see it. But uh, it's used as a political football between all of the political parties. I personally believe that there are things in life that shouldn't be used as a political football. So military funding, welfare funding, these things should be ring-fenced. So the only way that you, the only thing you can do is increase the budget you can't decrease the budget and you certainly shouldn't be allowed to use them, you know, come election time. So we are putting, what was it? We've been putting more money than ever into the NHS. Now, if that was true a couple of years ago in the United Kingdom, well, in England, sorry, you saw all junior doctors do something that they've never done in the history since uh, the NHS was founded, and that was go out on strike. So, you know, 
if they really were looking after the NHS, and I believe I mentioned, you know, it doesn't discriminate against you. So even if you've um, uh, uh, been very bad about publicizing the NHS, do you know what I mean? They won't discriminate you. Their job is to treat you, to get you back out, to get you on your feet, to get you, uh, you know, so you're walking out of the hospital doors. And a couple of years ago, what makes sense, what makes me feel about the NHS, my uncle died in a hospital and he was in for a couple of weeks. And you turn around and just after the, you know, the machines go off, I looked at the nurses and there were like a group of four nurses on from, you know, who worked on the ward and they were in tears because they've just lost a patient. You know, they really do care, these nurses and doctors. Um, do you know what I mean? It's uh, Yeah, it's that, like, there's it's a quite like, big difference. Big difference. Oh, yeah. Big difference in uh, America and UK. That That's yeah. interesting in all of that. Um, I know this because, um, like I said, I have family in the States. Um, and my auntie, her husband, so she met him or my great auntie now, she met him when he was serving in the US Air Force, and he was stationed in the UK um, in the 60s. So he, they met, they got married, she moved to the States with him. So all of her healthcare was covered by the VA. And I remember just saying to her, she got ill, um, and the VA kind of, at first, I don't know the ins and outs because, you know, you don't really want to mention it. And when you see family from the States, it's like you only see them every five years or something like that. So you don't want to go negative. Do you know what I mean? But from what yes. I've worked out is that the VA actually misdiagnosed her. And then when they re-diagnosed her to say, well, they were right, um, you know, this is it was too late to actually do something. Um, well, I believe that's the big difference between our systems is that care factor right there. And, yeah. you know, on on our VA system, it, it's just an atrocity. And these, these men is. and women that step up, they're expecting yeah. to be taken care of, and they aren't. And oh, yes. that's a, that's one thing that President Trump is really taking care of in his duties. He's stepping up for those veterans and trying to make sure that they do get the care that they deserve. But yeah, if um, we don't have that care factor, we're lost. And it's all about the money over here in America. It's not about the care anymore. And that's yeah. unfortunate. It's um, here in the UK, we have, where it comes to vets, there's a bigger problem. I feel an organization like the VA working with the NHS would uh, help. You Not look at bringing the medical stuff, but looking after the benefit side. So a lot, I do a bit of voluntary work uh, with my church. Uh, as I said, I'm studying theology and in time, I hope to become a priest. Um, Amen. God Amen to that, but God willing, you know. Um, but I do some work within a, you know, feeding the homeless. Now, most of the homeless people who come through our doors on a Tuesday have served in the military. 
the only reason they're not getting anywhere is because the government has let them down. But not on the health side, because they're entitled to the free health. Do you know what I mean? They don't have to worry about yeah. health costs like, you know, like a veteran would in the States if they didn't have the VA. It's the benefit side that's letting them down. You know, they're slipping through the cracks. Uh, those cuts that they brought in, they brought in something called bedroom tax. So basically, if you are on a benefit, so you claim something like unemployment, um, and I said it earlier about universal credit, you claim universal credit, you um, have an extra bedroom in your house, and they're paying for you to live in this house, they'll charge you a tax on that bedroom because it's empty. That's wow. the kind, you know, so more people are becoming in debt to the state because of, you know, little cuts and stuff like that that they've made. And nine times out of ten, it's people, the people who have served in the military, so have got PTSD or, you know, problems like that, who are falling through the gap. I have a friend who died the same time my great auntie died, actually, um, two days apart. Um, he had uh, cancer and he was living in a caravan, so a motorhome. He served in the military. He served in this country's worst attack ever in Afghanistan and survived it. Not only survived it, it turns out after reading about that attack, he was the person at the front of the column. Do you know what I mean? Whose job it was yeah. to move those mines and stuff. So he took it on himself quite uh, a bit. But to me, these people were left, people like him were left behind by uh, consecutive the government. Because, you know, people say in the UK, well, Boris Johnson's a prime minister. Well, yeah, that's true. But the party he leads has been in power for 10 years. Do you know what I mean? They forget that uh, in the UK, see, you elect President Trump uh, every four years and you elect him to lead. In the UK, we don't elect a prime minister. So when it comes to elections, we'll elect, um, basically, we will elect a member of parliament. So my member of parliament is a member of the Labour Party. Now, it then goes, then when they all get back to Westminster and they add up how many seats each party have got, the person with the highest amount of seats in Parliament, uh, you know, that party becomes the government party. On top of that, then, uh, you've got that each party has their own leader. So in at the moment they've just changed the Labour Party. The Labour Party is Sir Keir Starmer. Used to be Jeremy Corbyn. Uh before and like Boris Johnson is the party leader of the Conservative Party. Now, of course Boris is going you know, the only people who elected Boris Johnson to actually do anything are the people of his own area and the Conservative Party. No one else in the UK really elected Boris Johnson to be Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's role isn't electable. Um, you know, when it comes to elections, you are electing the person who's best going to stand up for you, rather than, you know, you're electing a Prime Minister. And I feel over time that we've, 
become too more obsessed with electing a prime minister than actually what it's meant to mean. Because any of yeah. the six hundred, you know, any of the six hundred and fifty members of parliament, or members, yeah, members of parliament, so members of the House of Commons, or the one thousand two hundred members of the House of Lords, or any person that Her Majesty wishes, as long as they can command a majority in Parliament, can be Prime Minister. So if the Queen wanted to, and I'm not saying, you know, this is what she should do, you know, with this whole coronavirus and at the moment Boris Johnson is recovering, um, basically if the Queen wanted to, she could put her son, the Prince of Wales, as Prime Minister or even Prince William, do you know what I mean, as a, or as a caretaker. I did not know that. That's the interesting. Queen, the Queen actually can fire a Prime Minister as well. She also can appoint a prime minister um, because prime ministers really act on the whim of the queen. It goes back to historical aspects. Ministers do the work of the crown when the crown do whatever it is that the crown do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's just over time that the crown has stepped back from you know these appointments. They're, they're, yeah. Exactly. And stuff like that. And they've allowed society to take over. Now, the UK, unlike the US, and I've been reading about, like, you have the 25th Amendment, you have a constitution, don't you? And it's written down, and it, it's word for word verbatim. There is no written constitution in the UK. Um, yeah, that's con- interesting. Yeah, it's um, all done on policy and law. So what's co- also more interesting is did you know in 1952, when the Queen became Queen, she agreed to hand over some powers, so her executive powers and stuff, you know, she would take advice from the government, rather than, there's nothing in law saying that, say Prince Charles becomes King tomorrow, he doesn't actually have to sign over these laws. He doesn't have to take the advice. If he wanted to, he could clear out the whole government and start again, you know, because you serve on the will of Her Majesty, and I believe it's the same in Canada as well, you serve at the pleasure of the Queen, or the monarch. Now, if the monarch shows displeasure towards you, they can technically fire you. And where it gets even more better is, there's nothing a Prime Minister could do about it, because the Prime Minister himself doesn't control the troops. The troops all swear their oaths to the Queen. So, That's very interesting. You know, a lot of confusion and misunderstanding on the powers of the monarch in this yes. modern day. They don't seem to understand, because we don't have a written constitution, all of these things, yeah. even from, you know, Middle Ages, unless they've been, you know, worked into laws and stuff like that, they are still technically in law. You know, they're still technically there because we work on precedents. So the precedent yeah. is there. Um, so what was it? Um, people in the UK were complaining about the last speaker of the House of Commons, John Burke, uh, because he would rule on something, but he used an old ruling, you know, from a previous speaker like 400 years ago. If you're not wow. going to write a constitution, do you know what I mean? It is still yeah. there and it is illegal. Um, it's their own fault. 
and there are so yes. many people with, and what I find quite funny is the people who are arguing for Brexit or you know to change on this they're people who want to put parliamentary sovereignty back at the heart of what they're doing but they don't seem to understand that parliamentary sovereignty means going back on precedents throughout ages so what actually John Burke was doing at that argument and I know he was using the rule against them, but what he was doing was inserting parlamentary sovereignty. Yeah, that's very interesting. <laughs> Sorry, With that, yeah. Terry, I'm going to go ahead and have to end this interview, but I want to yes. get you back for sure to discuss some more about this. Anytime. Um, like I said, very it would be interesting. Awesome. It would be yeah. awesome to get you on. Um, around about election time to probably get you on to one of ours because uh, you have an election this year in the states, don't you? Yes, we um, do. Yes, we do. Yes, that, I it's love always exciting. Time. Yes, it it's is always exciting. <laughs> so it really is. Anytime, uh, Terry. I, I would love to uh, come on with you anytime you'd like, and yeah. you're always welcome to come back on our show. We we love to discuss all topics. Anytime. We don't discriminate. We love people no. that are out there putting their voice out and getting results. That's what it's about. And talking but, and helping yeah. people, that's what it's what about. It? We have the tagline that if sharing your experience uh, can teach you, you know, me talking about my experiences may actually help you learn about another experience. Do you know what I mean? So talking and stuff like that actually goes with education. Um, It's not all about reading a book. Yeah, I do read quite a bit and, you know, stuff like that. But I come to my own judgments because sometimes, although a book says, how do I say, uh, you know, like an instruction book, you may now go to A, but you don't go to B. But actually, you know, you go to A. (laughs) Sometimes it's a bit, you know, sometimes... Yeah, it, in black and white it says this, but it doesn't actually mean it doesn't mean what is written around the box. And because I'm dyspraxic and dyslexic, I don't know about you because you said you have dyslexia. We seem to think about outside the box a little bit more than That's people right. who don't. So maybe we should be running our countries. Allow these people yeah. to <laughs> Do you know what I mean? How do people find you? And how can they get involved oh, with you? Um, we are actually looking for people. We have a program for volunteers. So if you have a podcast, we'll happily share your podcast, you know, on our website. We'd happily share stuff because, you know, we believe, like I've just said, that, you know, the world is a smaller place. So if you go to realtario.com, that's R-E-A-L-T-E-R-R-Y-O.com. And there's our website, or we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We have a few channels on YouTube because we're trying out YouTube to see how we can get our podcast, you know, more listeners. We're also on iTunes and a couple of other things. You can, I don't know, because I Google Real Terrier, you know, to check, like, what's going on with our own stuff. So if you go to Google and type in Real Terrier, you'll find everything about us. Or, like I said, go to our Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube channel, website, realtario.com. 
uh, anyone, there are like loads of ways of how you can join us, what you can do on our website. We are overhauling a bit of the stuff at the moment because of coronavirus. We're trying to, um, I don't know, we're trying to be there for people. So if you are vulnerable in society, you're not left behind. And you're not, um, in the UK, see people have been told, if you are um, need to go into that shield category, you're not meant to go out for 12 weeks. Now, nine times out of 10, these people have disabilities or they have mental health problems or they're old people, you know, the vulnerable who aren't going, you know, and they've also been told that their family members can't come visit them and stuff like that because it spread the, re the, the coronavirus bug and things. So we didn't want them to feel left at home. So we're overhauled a couple of stuff. So we're doing a podcast every two days uh, for each, you know, across them all. Uh, we also have some comedy podcasts as well. Um, I don't know if they'd be funny to American listeners because they're written from the British com comedy point of view, if that makes sense. Have you heard of a TV show called <laughs> Are You Being Served? Um, they, it actually did get quite big in America. So Are You Being Served with John Inman? Um, it's a very camp kind of comedy that we made. So it's called um, Dick Bachelor. And Dick Bachelor is no one. It's a figment of all three of us's imagination. Do you know what I mean? And basically, uh -huh. he is the worst. I don't know. How do we do? How do I say this now about Dick? Um, he is a, a gay man who's trapped in a straight world who actually belongs somewhere in the 18th century rather than the 21st century and lives in India. <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, people that we've met, like, you know, for our lives and stuff, we're able to throw back on how, you know, experiences and stuff are, or nine times out of ten, it's normally people who get on our last nerve, you know, someone we've argued with or someone who's done something against us, they come in as characters. So we've been writing this for a few years. Um, so it is funny, but it isn't meant, although he can be quite offensive, it isn't meant as offensive. If you know, uh, you know, it's non-politically yep. correct. What's quite important to comedy, do you know what I mean? Comedy, you shouldn't care about it's common sense. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to use right. racist language. I wouldn't use racist right. language. Um, but it, sometimes it can be funny. Um, the world's become over PC in my uh, thing. Correct. But then, uh, you know, sometimes it hasn't. So it goes back to like 70s and 80s British comedy. So like Benny Hill, but a little bit more, it's actually got a set and a stick. You know, it's got a story behind it. So at this moment in time, I think we're on series three. We're on series three of a lot of most of our podcasts. And we're on series three. Um, but that's the original podcast, see, Dick Batchley. It's what we started doing. Um, so it started on the radio show as a 10 minute Friday night at midnight, um, you know, during our late show. Uh, little comedy minute and it just expanded so when we stopped doing radio we did it as a podcast but when we started adding more podcasts we 
kept doing with uh, Dick Bachelor, as we call it. And now we're re-releasing Series 1 because Series 1 turns out that there was only five minutes in some episodes. It's not really long for like that, like the old ones. So we're re-recording them. We found all of the scripts um, when we were moving some files online. So we've just added the script and made it a bit more funnier. That's the only podcast where all three of us to this day are still working together um, because I do one and host it on my own. And like I said, the world of disability is um, created by the three of us. So last week's episode was me. Next, tomorrow's episode is me as well. But sometimes we're going to split away so there will be different hosts and stuff on there. But that's it, really. And then on our Facebook page, we have got online communities. So each of the podcasts that have topics, shall we say, not the Dick Bachelor, but the World of Disability, they have their own groups. So anyone can talk in there, you know, and offer advice to people, if that makes sense. Good enough. So, yeah, come listen to us. and Anyone is welcome. Like yourself. With that being said... I have to cut this off, Terry. Yeah. We will get involved again and have another podcast where we can sit down and talk. Anytime. Thank you for joining us. And it was a pleasure. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, Please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.